So sometimes the change and the impermanence that we see is uh, in a moment-to-moment experience of mindfulness. And then again in the macro view we see the seasons change and we know the galaxies are the universe is expanding and we see that there's change happening on that level too. But there's one area of change that's important to acknowledge and that is in the course of our practice. Our practice changes. And when I first, uh, after I did my first retreat, I came here to the meditation center and went on staff. And shortly after I arrived, uh, there was a Burmese monk who had come to the States and was teaching, and he was going to come and spend a week or ten days here at the meditation center during the middle of the three-month course. And we were told about this monk before he came. His name was Tongpulu Sayadaw. And it seems that he was uh, ordained as a young boy in Burma. And he studied, and he was doing some, you know, monks in Burma, they do all the social work, and uh, the teacher, they teach, and they do all kinds of things that, uh, not just meditate all day. And so he was living in the monastery, taking care of some ecclesiastical duties. And at some point he realized that he really wanted to practice. So he got permission, he wandered away from the monastery and he went to a place where he could practice in solitude and he went and stayed in a cave. And he went in the cave and he only came out to go on his alms round each day to get his food. And he stayed in the cave for 16 years, after which time he realized that his teacher had passed away, his, the abbot of the monastery where he got ordained. So he came out of the cave and he went to his um, teacher's monastery and indeed he had uh, recently passed away. But as soon as he had passed away, two cobras came out of the jungle and they set themselves up on either side of the corpse and they wouldn't let anybody come near the corpse to take care of it. So when he came out of the cave and he went to the monastery and he saw the corpse and the snakes, the cobras, he just walked up to the corpse and started taking care of it and the cobras went away. So there was some recognition that this monk had uh, seen something in that cave, or at least had come to had come to some steadiness of mind. And uh, after he took a year out of the cave and took care of his uh, teacher and installed a new abbot in the monastery, he went back in the cave for another seventeen years. So he was coming to teach us what he had learned, and of course I'd done two-week retreat. (laughs) I'd never seen a monk before. I didn't know anything about monks. But I I was interested to meet him. So when he came to the monastery, I came to this meditation center, he was maybe 70, maybe then 65, 70, I don't know, pretty old. And he was a wizened, skinny, really tiny guy. And because he lived in the cave so long, he he damaged his eyes, so he had to wear sunglasses all the time, like living in a cave, you know. And uh, he hadn't talked for so long that he couldn't talk very good either. But 
when you saw him, even if you didn't know anything. I mean, you didn't know anything about monks or you didn't, uh, couldn't speak to him or anything. When you saw him, you felt his power. And I'm not one of these woo-woo, wow-wow guys that can do that. Nothing impresses itself on me like that, except, wow, when you see him, you just want to really bow down and just kind of be very gentle and very respectful because there's some tremendous power there. Some, this man, this monk, has done something with his life that is extraordinary. At that time... I felt so inspired by his presence that I wanted to be a monk. I didn't know what it meant to be a monk. And uh, I didn't know anything about I was scared to death to travel to Asia. And I didn't have any real plans, but I wanted to be a monk. It wasn't that I wanted to be a monk so much as I wanted to, 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 to do what he did. I wanted to know what he knew. I wanted to, well, really live my life with that kind of commitment. Incidentally, when he would hold a group interview, and he would do group interviews up in what is now room 200, he, you know, 30 or 40 people would pile into the room, and he'd be sitting in a chair, and his translator's on the side, and before anybody asked any questions or anything, they'd just come in, settle down, and about to begin, he'd look around the room with his sunglasses on, and he'd say, are you a doctor? Through the translator. And the person he asked, was a doctor. And look around and say, are you a doctor? And that person was a doctor. Every group, he identified every doctor in the group. (laughs) And they weren't wearing scrubs either. It was just a display of the power of his mind so that you would listen to what he had to say with uh, some appropriate respect. And... uh, so I, I was like, wow, this is, I don't know what you've got to do to get that, and that's not what I've acquired either. But um, it was interesting just to, con- you know. So it took eight years before I, was, I kept doing practice, and, uh, you know, my friends had gone off to Thailand and Burma and ordained for a year or two and come back, and I didn't have any interest at all in going to Burma, Thailand. Not, didn't, didn't, didn't resonate. Until one year, one, one retreat, it just came to me. Got to go. And it appeared this way. I was doing a retreat here over my birthday one winter. I was over there in the Catskills, one of those rooms. And uh, I was about three or four days into the retreat. And I was sitting and I had this vision. It wasn't a dream. and It wasn't a hallucination. It was just a mental vision this uh, shrouded uh, female skull, skeleton, uh, came right in my face and said to me, the moment of your death is the most important moment of your life. And that was like so powerful to me, you know, that within hours I knew going to ordain. I just, that, there was no way around it. And my life was not ready for me to go away and ordain. I mean, I just like you, I had fully entangled life with business and partner and all kinds of responsibilities. But it was so powerful that you don't resist 
the call to uh, manifest your life. When, when, when you get the call, you've got to do it. So took the time and uh, closed out my business and separated from my partner and put my things in storage down in a garage here and went off to Asia. And I went because I wanted to do three things. I wanted to ordain as a monk. I wanted to live in a Buddhist country. And I wanted to practice just like this until I didn't want to practice anymore. Until I was just totally done with sitting. And I didn't know what that meant, but I was, that's what I was going for. And I thought it might take a year. <laughs> I was really optimistic. And... Um, so I went to the monastery and I was practicing with uh, Upandita. And I didn't plan to stay with Upandita. I thought I was going to go to Thailand, hang out in the jungle and you know, live kind of like that. But I really enjoyed working with Upandita. So I stayed with him for five years, um, practicing with him. And uh, when I was doing intensive practice like this, I really loved being a monk. The day I ordained, was the happiest day of my life. Just absolutely, it was just so un unbelievable. Such a happy day. And um, then after five years or after four and a half years, I was doing some traveling and some teaching with him and had to, get, had to do kind of monastic responsibility things. And I didn't like being a monk. You know, being a, so, being a social monk, it, it didn't appeal to me. So I, I began to feel, even though I loved being a monk, practicing, and it was the happiest day of my life to ordain, the thought finally arose in my mind, maybe I'll disrobe. Oh, that was so painful to think about. It was just so painful to, to think I was going to give up the robes and to give up that lifestyle. But as it happens, you know, Karma and conditions keep rolling on, you know, and things things change. And eventually, after five and a half years in the robes, I I told Sayadaw that I was going to disrobe. Oh, you don't tell Sayadaw what you're going to do if he doesn't want you to do it. <laughs> you know, not easy to tell him anyway. And uh, we had a two-month argument. <laughs> not really an argument. It was just. Yes, I don't, I'm going to disrobe my karma and the conditions. Just not possible. And he would say, perseverance and energy. Perseverance and energy. You know, and I'd say, karma and conditions. Karma and conditions. <laughs> uh, but in the end, disrobed. And um, everybody asked me why I disrobe. Kalesa. To be quite honest with you, Kalesas. They are really deep in the, in the heart and the mind. But on a practical, pragmatic level, I didn't want to live in Burma. I could be a token Anglo monk in any monastery in Burma. They'd love to have me there. But I didn't want to be a social, social monk. And back in the States, the whole idea of being a monk is you live in a community of people like yourself who support your practice. And there was no monastery that I could live in. Uh, here in the West. So I could go to the Burmese Viharas in any of the big cities, New York, Detroit, Boston, LA, San Francisco, whatever, 
there's a Burmese community center there, or social community center, with a monk. I could go stay with any of them, but I'd already spent 10 years here at the meditation center, and I knew that there was lots of opportunities to share the Dharma here, and Joseph and Sharon had always told me, you know, whenever you want to come back, you come to IMS, you can stay, we'll support you as a monk, or you can teach as a monk, or whatever, no, no problem. So I knew I had opportunities to um, stay involved with the Dharma. To think that I was leaving the Dharma was just too... I, cu I couldn't imagine going back to the kind of lay life that I had before. And um, so then came here and disrobed and then started teaching and have been kind of on this, this path of sharing the Dharma, uh, inviting people to kind of feel their own, feel, recognize their own calling in the Dharma and to uh, aspire to fulfill it, whatever it is. And uh, in the process have brought monks here to the States, most recently Sayadaw Utejaniya for three times I brought him to the States to teach and come here and just this year he was here for two weeks. And uh, that's not the end. One of our students, uh, who, was, who was a young boy when he was 16, really just felt strong urge to, to meditate. So we went online and got some instruction, and for two years he practiced meditating like that. Then he came, his father said, why don't you go do a retreat? So he went and came to a retreat with Kamla and I. And he was so, he had such pure faith, he just so, really just must have been a monk in his past lives. All he wanted to do was ordain, but his parents thought he'd better get an education first, so he had to go to finish his undergraduate degree. So I kind of guided him along for four years while he did his undergraduate degree. But he did a month uh, retreat with us and a month with Upandita, and he did his retreats. Then after his uh, undergraduate degree, his parents said, well, you really ought to get yourself a career. Maybe you ought to get, maybe you ought to get another degree. So he had to get another degree. Finally, just a year ago, he finally got his PhD in psychology. That's what his parents wanted him to get. Got his PhD. All along, he just wants to ordain. But he put in all those years, those another 10 years. Now he's 29. And uh, he's just finishing, this month he'll be finishing his uh, postdoc, where he gets his license for everywhere he wants to, to, you know. And he finishes his exam in October. In November, he's going to ordain. That, that's uh, really pure faith. You know, but also you've got to fulfill your, you know, your family commitments, your family obligations. You've got to take care of yourself. You can't just kind of abandon life. You've got to do what you've got to do, but don't neglect your, your Dharma calling, whatever it is. We live in the world, but we're not really of this world. Our hearts are somewhere else in the Dharma. So, maybe you can think about that in your dreams. <laughs>